you're in the most popular prayer ever prayed, the Lord's Prayer. And so we went ahead and last week we looked about this question about praising God, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now we're going to look at the question of God's kingdom. Last week, God's honor this week, God's kingdom. So hear the word of the Lord, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The word of the Lord. Well, the political process is in full gear. I don't know about you, but I'm getting a tremendous amount of mail coming into my inbox every week from different political parties as we gear up for this presidential election that is forthcoming. Also getting phone calls. Do you ever get phone calls? An automated phone call. Do you know what I do when you get an automated phone call? Click. Nonetheless, the energy is coming up because the major question is going to be answered. Who will watch over us? You know, leadership is an important and critical thing, whether it's for a country or a church or a family. We live and die with the people that we have set over us to watch over us and to govern diligently. My son recently was assigned to read a book that I remember, The Lord of the Flies. Remember this book? First of all, I want to I'll give some praise to this book because my final essay in high school was on the Lord of the Flies. And even though I really didn't know the story that well, I happened to luck out and wrote a stirring essay on Lord of the Flies and exempted myself out of English at UVA. So many thanks to Lord of the Flies. If you don't know the story, Lord of the Flies, it's very interesting. There's a, a plane crash, and the only people who survive are these kids who are 13 and under. So it's a group of kids, 13 and under, who are trying to figure out how to survive and how to manage themselves. And in the beginning, they bond together, they choose a leader, they're working diligently, trying to keep the signal fire going and watching over things. But as time continues, the cracks begin to form. The factions begin to be created as different groups coalesce. Until finally there's outright war and destruction and murder as they devolve into a primitive state, this Lord of the Flies island. A kingdom not of peace, but a kingdom of chaos. You know, our world, even though maybe a little prettier than that, is not too far from the Lord of the Flies, is it? Our power is based on the will to power. Who has the strength? Who has the money? Heard it said that the golden rule is simply this, he who has the gold makes the rule. We live in a kingdom of chaos. All you have to do is turn on the TV and you'll see it. All you have to do sometimes is to look at your own world. Because in our world, there is a sense of a Lord of the Flies too, isn't there? As we struggle in our work, in our relationships, in this thing that we call the rat race. I think it was Lily Tomlin that said, even if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. <laughs> it's a struggle to live in life when we're constantly trying to get ahead. You know, I've heard this said, I don't know if you've heard the statement, life is like a bucket of crabs. If you've ever seen something about crabs, it's very interesting. If you put them all in a bucket, and one tries to climb out of the bucket, the rest of them will pull the crab back in. 
and they will never be able to get out of the bucket because they're each pulling each other back in, pulling each other down. Maybe sometimes you experience that in your own life, with people, with friends, with business owners. The question we have is this, with the life that we live meant to be in a kingdom of chaos, what if there was another kingdom, a kingdom that we had not seen yet, one that was not of chaos, but one that is of peace? What if the problem of our world was not that we had bad people, simply that we had the wrong king? What if there was a new kingdom that could come, not of chaos, but of peace? Not one ruled by a tyrant, but of a savior. The exciting thing is this passage relates to us that there is a kingdom. A kingdom that is coming. That is ruled by a savior that will bring peace and restoration to all things. And further, we can have a part in this kingdom. Because only those who long for the coming of the king will dwell in the kingdom of the king. We get to participate in the coming of the king. This passage teaches us three important things. In fact, this passage teaches us about all the history of the world in one simple verse. The first thing it teaches us is this, that we live in a world of rebellion and ruin. The situation that we are in right now is because of rebellion and ruin. But we also see that there is an opportunity for repentance and reconciliation. That rebellion can be overcome with repentance. And finally, that leads me to my third point. That one day we will see restoration and renewal of all things. So rebellion, repentance, and restoration. These are the things I'm going to talk about. Because only those who long for the coming of the king will dwell in the kingdom of the king. Let's look at the first part. Rebellion and ruin. Remember, Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Disciples came to him. This is not, he didn't say this is what you should pray. This is how you should pray. He's giving us a pattern for prayer. Last week, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. But now he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now we're not too familiar with this concept of kingdom because of the democracy we live in. But the Jews of which Jesus was speaking to were very familiar with it. Because they were ruled by the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was ruled by the Caesar. And Caesar was king. In fact, kurios Caesar. Caesar is Lord. And Caesar was the king. And because he was the king, he could do whatever he wants. Rex Lex. The king is the law. And so what he did was he took his thumb and put it on Israel and would grind it in the dust. And would impoverish the people. This evil king. But Jesus prays, your kingdom come, God. Why would he pray that aside from the fact that the kingdom is not here? Not fully anyways. Your kingdom come. Well, this doesn't make sense because we understand that God is in charge of all things. Daniel 4.35 says this. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? God is clearly the king and over this world. And yet Jesus prays, your kingdom come. It can only mean this, that though he is ruler, there, this is a kingdom in conflict. 
For the subjects of this kingdom do not recognize the king. What happened? How is it that the subjects do not recognize the one that made them? For it is truly God's world, isn't it? In seven days, let there be light. Let there be animals. Let there be man. Indeed, we have to understand what went wrong. Remember at the end of the day that God made man in his own image. The image of God he created in male and female. And God gave man a task. The task of vice-regents. Do you understand what that terms mean? The regent is the king, right? Regent means king. But he made man the vice-regent. And he gave him the earth to rule over. Rule over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. Have dominion over the earth. And so he gave man his image. The qualities of God. So that when he would walk through creation on the earth, creation would do a double take. Because they look at man and they say, oh, I thought I was looking at God. See, man was given this task as vice regent to fill the earth and to subdue it. But it wasn't just a governmental role, it was a theological role. To fill the earth meant to fill the earth with government and science and culture and arts, all for the glory of God, all reflecting the honor of God. And yet we live in a world that does not reflect the glory of God, but rather the glory of man. There's only one thing that could have gone wrong, and that is mutiny. There's been a mutiny on planet Earth. Jesus put it this way in Luke 29. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one they also beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He still sent a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, who I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Why is God's kingdom not here? Because there's been a coup d'etat, a mutiny in which man has tried to overcome God. We see the effects of it every day. God asks the question in Psalm 2, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kingdoms of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against His anointed, His Messiah, saying, Let us burst their bonds and cast the cords away from us. But He who sees in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. And then he will speak to them and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish. Blessed are all who take refuge. See, the Lord is saying, you may decide that you want to do this. Truth can be denied, but it can't be avoided. For I am king, and this is my world. When you think about it, all the chaos in the world is due to the fact that we who are trying to run the world are not capable of doing so. 
We are the Lord of the Fly's book, played out on a macro scale. Impersonators who have the face of God, but not His power, not His wisdom, not His understanding, trying to play God, but we are only man. Maybe you've heard the story of Frank William Abagnale. He's now an American security consultant. But in his history, he was a, uh, a swindler, a check uh, forger, and an imposter. In the 1960s, he passed over $2.5 million worth of meticulously forged checks across 26 countries, beginning when he was only 16 years old. In the process, he became one of the most foremost imposters ever assuming the identity of over eight separate people. You maybe saw the movie Catch Me If You Can, which was about his life. Here are some of his identities as an imposter. He, he uh, impersonated a Pan Am pilot and logged over a million miles on 250 flights. Indeed, sometimes he was asked to take over the plane, doing so at 30,000 miles. He said, luckily, the plane was on autopilot because I didn't have an idea of what I was doing. For 11 months, he impersonated a chief resident pediatrician in a Georgia hospital under the alias Frank Connors. He faked his way through. And then there was one time that he almost killed a child who was a blue baby who would stop breathing. And he realized, I have to get out of this gig. I don't know what I'm doing. He forged a Harvard University law transcript, somehow managed to pass the bar, and got a job at the Louisiana Attorney General's office at the age of 19. You see, this guy, Frank, was an imposter. He was a very good imposter, but at the end of the day, he was an imposter, trying to play roles that he had no idea how to play. And so this world is a world of imposters. And the difficult thing that we must swallow is the imposters are us. We have met the enemy. And it is us. See, we're all rebels, aren't we? Who have jumped in to the fray and said, we don't want to live for God's kingdom. We want to live for our own. Now you may say to me, whoa, wait a second, Pastor. You're laying wrong pretty thick here. Well, let me ask you some questions. When you go to work and you do your job, whether as a worker in a business or a homemaker, do you seek to do it for the glory of God for yourself? When you enter into relationships with people, your spouse, your children, your friends, do you seek to reflect the glory of God or look to reflect the glory of yourself? When we, enter, when we are in the process of so many different things, the way we use our money, the way we use our time, the way we use our talents, do we lift them up for the glory of God or for the glory of man? See, the truth of the matter is all of us at one time or another, even now, may say, I don't need God. I am God. We all are the Lord of the flies. And so the first step in understanding the kingdom of God is we must recognize that we belong to a group of rebels. And also that furthermore, what we are doing is not working. That we need a king. That like Frank, we need to come to our senses and realize, I may look like the king, but I don't have his power. We must, in humility, declare that my life in this world is broken. Good said that there are only two reasons that people change. Desire and disgust. 
One day you wake up and you look in the mirror and you say to yourself, I don't want to live like this anymore. And one day you see a picture of what could be. And you desire it and you decide, I'm going to change my life. See, the point is this, that if we long for the coming of the King, we will dwell in the kingdom of the King, for the kingdom is surely coming. But it only comes when we recognize that we will go to the flocks. This brings me to my second point. We talked about rebellion and ruin. Well, the story doesn't end there, thank goodness. And now I want to talk about reconciliation and restoration. How does God respond to this mutiny that has occurred? How would you respond? I know exactly how I would respond. You know, the famous, most famous mutiny that has ever taken place is the mutiny on the bounty. Related, uh, talking about Captain Bly. Remember this in Fletcher Christian, who made into movies so many times. Captain Bly was the commander of a ship. They were out in Polynesian waters. Well, there were certain people that didn't like the way Captain Bly kept his ship. And the tension ratcheted up. And as they saw these beautiful waters and these beautiful Polynesian islands, they decided we simply have to do something about it. And so 18 of them mutineered, whatever the word is, against Captain Bly and his other 14 loyalist crewmen. They decided to set him adrift in a small 23-foot boat, uh, boat out in the ocean. They couldn't bring themselves to kill him, but they knew that the elements would kill him. But Captain Bly determined that he would not die. And with only a pocket watch and a quadrant, he managed to sail that little vessel 3,500 miles. And when he made it back to England and told them the story, they said justice must be done. A ship was dispatched to go back to Tahiti in that area where they found and captured the remaining prisoners and they executed them and hung them. See, Bly said, they have wronged me. They have been unjust, and so I must have justice. That is the way our hearts are as well, isn't it? And so when this God comes, how will he treat the world? We see that when Jesus came, something very different occurred. For he came not as a vengeful king, but as a humble man. The Word of God, the Son of God, made flesh. Born to an illiterate, pregnant teenager. In the middle of nowhere, uneducated. And this one, Jesus, who came into the world, did not come into the world to condemn the world, but rather to announce good news. The first words that he ever spoke were this, the kingdom, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the good news. Sight for the blind. Freedom for the prisoners, recovery for the poor and downtrodden, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus said, repent, and believe the good news, for the kingdom is at hand. See, this king, Jesus Christ, came not to punish, but rather to pardon, to restore the world from chaos and bring it to peace. But he went even further than that. For he came not only to pardon his own, grant them inheritance as sons and daughters of God. What a beautiful picture of what the king has done. See, the king not only announced the good news, but he showed us how we were supposed to live, this God-man. 
Jesus in his life was the picture of the man that we were supposed to become, but could not or would not. In John 8, 28, Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, that you will know that I am He, and do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. That man should play the tyrant over God and find Him a better man than Himself is an astonishing drama indeed. We see that God gives us the picture of how we are to live in Christ. That He announced the good news. That He showed a restored human. But He also paid. See, in order to have mercy, we must have justice. In order for there to be a restoration of this kingdom, there must be a ransom. And so this one, this Son of God, paid the ransom cross for rebellious sinners. Christianity is the only major religion to have as its central event the humiliation of its God. What we took by force, He took back with love. We were the tyrant kings, but He was the obedient servant. We were the ones who killed God, but He was the one who saved man. For He condemned us. We condemned Him, but He rescued us. We renounced Him, but He embraced us. It was Napoleon who said, What have I and other great leaders built my empires upon? By force. But Jesus Christ built His empire on love. And right now, millions will die. See, Jesus moves us back to Himself, not with a sword, but with His heart. With unconditional love and acceptance. He gives us the king that we are really looking for. King who dies for his people. And so we must respond to this beautiful picture. We must respond to his reconciliation by renouncing our kingship. By saying what we want is to be different in our lives. Jesus said that the treasure of the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And when the man found it, he sold everything he had, and in his joy he went and bought that field. The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl that a merchant looking for pearls found, and he sold everything else he had so he could have this beautiful pearl. See, the only response that we can have for this God of love is to pray. For to pray is to embrace what God has for us. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is See, when you pray to God, your will be done. What you're saying to God is, I have come to the end of myself. That you can have anything. For what you give me is more precious than anything I have. And then you become like Christ. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is not the means to the end. Jesus is the end himself. So what is the pearl of great price in your life? What are you saying to in the way you live and the way you pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Are you saying, my kingdom come, my will be done. My job's kingdom come, my job's will be done. My boyfriend or girlfriend's kingdom come, my boyfriend's will be done. 
You see, we are worshiping something. We all have a king, and every king has a price. The price of Jesus is lordship. But the gift of Jesus is love. Jesus can be trusted because his kingdom is built with love. And he moves us to himself with his grace. Are you still in rebellion? Are you still in your petty turf wars? Jesus is a sacred son because he practices what he preaches. And those who long for the coming of the king will most certainly dwell in the kingdom of the king. We see a picture of restoration, excuse me, of reconciliation, and now we must see the picture of restoration. Because we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, we desire, if we are truly servants of the King, that God would restore the kingdom not only in our hearts, but also in the world. For there will be a final restoration of all things, not just people, but the earth itself. In 2 Peter, Peter uh, answers those foes who says, where is his coming? Where is this one that you've talked about? The world goes on, as we have always seen. But Peter says, but they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed, and the earth was formed out of water by water. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. The Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of heavens by fire, and the elements you see, at first Jesus came as the Lamb, but the next time that Jesus comes, He will come as the Lion. He will come to take His rightful throne, for He is the King, and every knee shall bow, whether they want to or not, in joy or in terror, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not Caesar is glorious, but Jesus Christ is glorious. And so if we believe in the kingdom, we will work for it. Because our life is an expression of what we believe, isn't it? Jesus Christ gave all, and so he wants all. In the end, people make the mistake of thinking that Christianity is a philosophy. Christianity is not a philosophy, it's a way of life. It's the subsuming of all our life to the rule of Christ. And so how must we respond as we look to the hastening of the coming of the kingdom and speed its coming? There are three ways that I can think that we must respond. Number one, holiness. The Bible says that just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. God calls for his subjects, for his sons and daughters, the inheritors of the kingdom of God to acknowledge Him by being holy and obedient. John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will show myself to him. He wants us to be holy in all aspects of our lives. 
in our relationships, in our gifts, in our talents, in our resources. He wants us to be holy, different than the world, like Christ, by His power in all things. He wants us to be holy, but He also wants us to change our perspective. Right now, the truth of the matter is, our perspective is focused in this world. We're thinking about the things that we have to do. And there is nothing wrong with that. But God says, I want you to live with one foot in heaven and one foot on earth. Set your heart on things above, not on earthly things. For you die in your heart. Your life is now hidden with Christ above. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so, if we want to live out this kingdom of God in this world, we must change our perspective. We must change our passport. Our citizenship is not of this world, but rather of the kingdom of heaven. We must change our identity. Whatever's on your business card, whether big or small, must be subsumed under our title, children of the Son, Son of God, people who are inheritors of the kingdom. We must change our ambitions, not to be so great in this world and loved and esteemed, but rather in the kingdom above, which we will one day inherit, the kingdom that will last forever. We must live as sons and daughters. For so often we live as practical atheists, acknowledging God in word, but not living after God indeed. We must live holy lives, we must change our perspective, and finally, number three, we must engage in God's ministry of reconciliation. Do you know that every one of us who are Christians have a ministry? And it's not the choir, it's not Sunday school, it's not the nursery. Those are secondary ministries, but our primary ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. Listen to what Paul says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself in Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore God's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, therefore, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin and sin for us, so that in him we might become righteousness of God. See, God has a task for you and me to become his vice regents again, to take back the world, to engage in the restoration of the image of God, to spiritually awaken his people, to be ambassadors of the king who forces them to be king, forces them to acknowledge his king, not by sword, but rather by love. We are in the business of freeing prisoners, and so we must recognize our job. You know, I think of people like the Bridgmans who were here a little while ago, and the Jones, Matt and Joanna, who are heading off to Peru and to Somalia to proclaim the gospel, who have changed their course, changed their ambitions, changed their ministry, the message might go forth. 
Is Jesus calling us to do the same thing? Probably not. But I can't say that He isn't. You see, to come to Christ, to pray this prayer is to say, I'm done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. So what is your ambition? Don't you know that in the race all the runners run? But only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. For they do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Though we only see this kingdom by faith, not by sight, one day it will come. With the sound of the trumpet, the disappearing of the elements by fire, the wicked will be taken away. But the kingdom will come down in this beautiful city, the new Jerusalem, and man and God will dwell again in a restored, restored connection. And then His will will be done, not only in heaven, but on earth as well. Is this your hope? Is this your ambition? In the end, it is the only thing that matters. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. The Son of Man will give you for on Him God has placed the seal of approval. If you want this kingdom, it's very simple. Give up on yourself. Trust in the Lord. And be a part of your story in this kingdom. For only those who long the coming of the King will dwell in the kingdom of the King. Let us pray. Lord, it's true we are and were rebels that our tendency is to twist your image, to take what you have given us, a coup d'etat, Lord, as we seek to build our own kingdoms rather than yours. But we thank you for your Son, Jesus, God, who became man, the God-man, who showed us how to live, who lived in perfect obedience, obeying the will of God even to the cross. We thank you that you have sent him to announce not a sentence, but a beautiful, good news message of repentance and restoration. Lord, help us embrace this kingdom. Help us to make it ours. Help us to want nothing else but it. Help us to make it our ambition and to work for it, to speed its coming. Help us again to take up our mantle as vice regents, your sons and daughters, who will restore the world, bringing people to faith. And so we will see the kingdom come again in all of its beauty and glory. This is our prayer, all of this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.